Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. This week I sit down with Brad Skistimus, but you may know him as Five Times August. Our conversation is next. First, let's talk about the holidays. Are you ready? Do you have the right coffee on hand for those special moments with family and friends? Well, if you don't, you need to get to it. Stop waiting around. American Pride Roasters coffee needs to be in your pantry right now, especially the pumpkin spice specialty coffee. That's the first Thanksgiving blend. After you've consumed the roughly 4,500 calories that most Americans put down over Thanksgiving Day, you'll probably want to unwind and just relax. Well, the perfect coffee for such an occasion is none other than APR Coffee's first Thanksgiving blend with its absolutely perfect pumpkin spice flavor available at aprcoffee.com. And when you get ready to check out, be sure to use promo code ATM. That stands for at the mic. That's going to get you 10% off your entire purchase. That's the first Thanksgiving blend available at aprcoffee.com. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Brad Skistimus, better known as musical artist, five times August is my guest this week. Brad has been successful in the world of music making, and he continues to use his talents to churn out songs with messages for the interesting times we're living in today. Brad was born and raised in North Texas, where he remains today, and he came into the studio here in Dallas for this week's chat. Joined today here in studio with, now you knew this was going to be a thing. <laughs> you, you knew it was going to be a thing. With Brad Skimistis. It's, come on, come on. Hold on a second. You know what I should do? I should look at your name while I'm saying it, but it's not. There you go. Cheat not, sheet. Skistimus. Skistimus. There you go. You got Skistimus. it. Skistimus. That, that had to be a challenge your entire life, not just with people like me. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every day, roll call at school. Yeah. Skistimus. I thought I had it bad with Malinak. Yeah. Skistimus. Skistimus. It's really, our last names aren't that difficult to pronounce if you just stop, take a breath, look right. at it, and read it. Right, But, yeah, but yeah. so many times I get calls on the phone where you could tell they don't know. You could tell it's a sales thing or right. some sort of spam call where it's like, yeah, it's Keith M- M- Malikna. This, right, and they skip a letter or something right. and like, they'll mess it up. Are or, you yeah. looking at the word? Yeah, yeah. Come on. So, yeah. anyhow, um, so brothers in... Uh, Last names, I guess. Yeah. Uh, struggles. Uh, Absolutely. You and I. It's a real thing. Yeah. So <laughs> you were born and raised right here in the Dallas Metroplex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool because not many people can say that. Yeah. You know? yeah. That, that's kind of like how I feel you know, with Atlanta. When you hear somebody, that's where I was born and raised, mm-hmm. say they're born and raised in Atlanta mm-hmm. and they're still there. You're yeah. Like, wow. You're a unicorn. Right. Because Dallas is a town that everyone's flocked to. And I'm sure you've oh, seen that yeah. in your lifetime. Yeah, I grew up here, and uh, I used to think, like, one day I'm going to get out of this place. <laughs> and I'll, I'll be in music, you know, you're like, I'm going to go to New York or California, or i got to be where the you know the industry is. I lived in, I lived in uh, Nashville for, like, six months. Uh-huh. And I thought, like, okay, this is pretty close to, you know, Texas vibes. But ultimately, after touring the country, I'm like, <laughs> I think I'll be here the rest of my life. Texas is the, you know, the right right pace for me it's yeah you got space you know it feels Seriously. good so yeah and if people aren't familiar and correct me mm-hmm. if i don't have this assessment correct as mm-hmm. someone who's lived here for nearly a decade now mm-hmm. it's like dallas is the metropolitan city almost like the northern city in the south and there's trees mm-hmm. and the fort worth side is more like i i say it's where um uh midwest common sense intersects with southern hospitality and there mm-hmm. are no trees over there so it's, yeah. it's literally two different cities 
meshed together in this huge metropolitan area. Yeah, yeah. I've always connected with Dallas more, mm -hmm. and Fort Worth always seemed a little bit more foreign to me. I was mm. just in Fort Worth a few weeks ago, and every time I pull up there, I'm just like, I haven't spent enough time here. I've been here my whole life. I always feel like a little disconnected from Fort Worth. You ever seen the cows in the street when they when they herd them in and everything? I've been down to the stockyards. Yeah, stockyards. I've done all that stuff. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, but I just haven't, you know, I, all my memories are, are going to Dallas, you know, as a kid yeah. or whatever and doing the big stuff there. When people say they're going to visit the area, I tell them there's two things you can do here that, that you'll really want to do. And it's the JFK Museum mm -hmm. on the Dallas side. I think they did a great job with that. Mm -hmm. and it's, it's really set up nicely. Yeah. And then in Fort Worth, I say, you know, go down to the stockyards, watch them, you know, herd the, the, the longhorns in the street. But, mm -hmm. you know, don't be doing that in the summer because it's miserable. Right. It's hot. Right. And gross. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's just two distinct worlds, Dallas and Fort Worth. Yeah. And I didn't do the JFK tour until about five years ago. It's something that, you know, it's always been around. And whenever mm -hmm. you live in like close to a big city and all the tourist stuff, you skip over it your whole life. Yeah. And then you're like, well, maybe I should do that. And so my wife took me to do that tour like five years ago and I loved it. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. So your brother, Craig. Yes. Right. Where does he live? He lives in, in the same area. We both, you know, we're still here. Dallas, okay, Fort Worth so, area. So when you guys, because you do a podcast together called Weekdays with Craig and Brad, which yeah. by the way, the theme song that y'all have, this like 80s vibe or whatever. I just, yeah. It's, I, I put it. that together. It was it's a fun little project. so good. It's Thanks. so good. But that's what I thought he was local. So why aren't yeah. you guys in the same room together? <laughs> well, <laughs> let's see. I don't know. We, we both started our careers about the same time he was in the gaming industry uh -huh. for the like the last 15 years i've been in the music industry for the last 15 years yeah. we've both been doing separate things on and off i've been sometimes I'd, i would peek in and and sort of help him out with his stuff um i'd create content with him for for his uh company back in the day and um you know just after 15 years 20 years or so we we started talking last November, October or so, like, why don't we do a podcast together and just mm -hmm. see how it goes? And, and it's called Weekdays because we were doing it every day for five days a week, every, every day. Um, That's and tough. And it, it is tough. And we, we really were draining ourselves. We were taking time away from our families and everything mm -hmm. else. But, but we, we scaled it back for the second season. We just do it on Sunday nights right yeah. now to sort of make things easier. And uh, it's just fun. It's kind of a thing that we do just for ourselves. And it seriously doesn't seem to have... Um like, uh, there's no rules, really. Just two, no. Two brothers talking about what's going on in the world, right? Yeah, yeah. It's real easy going. We get on about, like, 30 minutes before we, we get on or, or so when you say, what do you want to talk about today? Mm -hmm. And then we just go with it and we riff it and we derail all the time. You know, we'll, we'll pick <laughs> a, a subject and then we'll talk for the first 45 minutes and be like, maybe we should get to. Yeah. Know. I the ADD uh, yeah. definitely swims around in, yeah, in yeah. the room. No, I, I like it. I like the conversational style and you guys have good chemistry together for sure. And you you have another brother and a sister. How close is your group in age there? My oldest brother is eight years older than I am. Okay. He lives in California. He works for Facebook. And then my sister lives in Lubbock. And she's a few years younger than my oldest brother. He's about seven, uh, six years older than I am. So I'm the youngest. Yeah. And then and then there's Craig. And Craig and I were the closest in age. We're two years That's apart. Cool. And so we kind of... We grew up with the same love of, you know, we're 80s, 90s kids and, and all the pop culture stuff that, you know, helps us connect during our podcast and um, gives us that vibe that we're, we're going for. But it's a lot of fun. Yeah, we're, we're all pretty close and, and it's a good, 
good little tight-knit family. That's so, great, yeah. man. That's really cool. I will say that your earliest memory has had me listening to the monkeys all day in preparation oh, yeah? for this interview. Because uh, <laughs> that's, that's your earliest memory. A 1987 yeah. reunion concert of the monkeys with Weird Al Yankovic uh, yeah. as the opener. That had been a fun time. How much do you remember from that? So <laughs> so I have, I had this memory of walking out to um, the field we had we had nosebleed field tickets for that concert. My brother, my oldest brother, had won the tickets uh, through a radio contest, and um, I I always had a vague memory of it. And then playing Last Train to Clarksville, I like I was only three years old or something like that, and uh, it just stuck with me forever. And I have kind of scaled back. You look back over your life, and you're like, well, what's my earliest memory? I'm pretty sure that was it because. I'll never forget that I'm a still a big fan of the Monkees. I'm still a big fan of Weird Al. They've been such an underrated band that should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Absolutely, I, absolutely. On. And I've gotten to meet all four Monkees oh, throughout nice. my life, and oh, and cool. um, it, each each little meeting with them was something special and mm. very cool. Mickey Dolenz was one of the coolest rock stars I've ever met and had the chance to 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 chat with. I've heard he's incredibly nice, super nice guy. Like I was nervous because yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're like one of my you know, favorite voices of music of all time. You're my first memory as a kid. And I had the chance to hang out with him after a show once. And I think he knew I was kind of nervous. I was geeking out a little bit. And, <laughs> and he just made me feel so at home and so comfortable. That's Kept cool. the conversation rolling. I really appreciate that. Otherwise, yeah. I would have been like, um, remember when you were in the monkeys? <laughs> you know, and it would have been that conversation. You had a TV show. How was that? Was yeah, that yeah. fun? Yeah. So any chance... I mean, you were three, so I, I'm not going to hold you to this, but any uh, chance you have a ticket stub from that laying around? I do have a yes! ticket stub. My mom, is, is bless her, has kept so many great things oh, throughout cool. my life. Toys, <laughs> uh, uh, photo books of, you know, all our old family trips and stuff. Um, hey, can I just say, let me interrupt you for a second. Yeah. Your mom is not a pack rat. She has foresight. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, mean, I mean, seriously, that's awesome. Yeah, and, and it's helped me remember so many things throughout my life because you tend to forget these things, and then you have these little nuggets of things that you come across. And I was looking through a book one day, a photo book, and um, I see the monkey's ticket. I'm like, oh, this is, a, this is an artifact from my very first memory as a kid. How you know? awesome, because it just takes that one little spark, and then you can remember so much. Yeah, yeah. That is really cool, man. Yeah. She gave me a box full of like my old toys uh, a few Christmases back. Oh. And I was like, what are you doing with all this stuff? Right. You, know, you know, and and then you remember everything, you know, you're like, oh, I had this. I got this for my third, you know, fourth. What a fifth, great birthday. gift idea. I know. Just yeah. just just re-gift your old toys. Yeah. What a, <laughs> what a great investment. Thirty years ago, seven dollars for an action figure or something yeah. like that. So <laughs> and now cool. my kids get to play with it. So it, it's pretty cool. Yeah. That's the one thing that I kept for my kids. And, mm -hmm. I, and I kept them at the time, not mm -hmm. so much to collect them, but just because I knew one day I wanted my kids to, to really like He-Man and the Masters right. of the Universe. Yeah. Now, they played with them for, they humored me for maybe a week or two when they were younger mm -hmm. with, with the He-Man action figures, but then they just kind of forgot about it, which is cool because I'm mm -hmm. not getting rid of them. Right. I mean, that that's nostalgia that I cannot yeah. be without. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Grew up here in Dallas. You went to community college for a bit. Then you went to art school for a bit. Mm -hmm. But then you got into the world of music. Yeah. And and while I've got you here, I just want to say that Proud of You is an excellent song. Oh, thanks. Absolutely. Um, tell us how you got into the music world. I mean, is this something that as a kid you were into mm -hmm. music and just turned it into a career? Or what happened? Yeah, I found... 
my grandpa had gotten a guitar as a gift from my grandma in the 70s at some point. And it's an amazing thing to think that had my grandma never bought that guitar for my grandpa, mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't be making music. Isn't that right crazy now. how the yeah. smallest little thing turns into a life changer? Yeah, because I years later, I'm about 11 years old. I find that guitar in a closet. And, and I had already been sort of into music. I was... I had cassette tapes I listened to on the school bus going to school while other kids were listening to bands like Nirvana. Right. I'm listening to Billy Joel and the Temptations and nice. like I'm really into these non-hit bands at mm-hmm. the time. Um, but I find this guitar. I was really into the Beatles too. It's got one string on it. I'm th- completely fascinated by this thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's a real guitar in my house. And so (laughs) we take it to the local guitar shop. Uh, The guy there strung it up and he played the first chord I ever heard on the guitar. Like he just strung it up and he went ring. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. Nice. And so I started when I was 11. I started writing songs when I was about 14 in high school. Um, Was writing, you know, recording to a cassette tape throughout high school songs that I was writing for girls I liked or something like that. I'd give them a cassette tape and be like, I really like you. I won't be able to go out with me. Here's a song I wrote. And um, by the time I graduated, I knew that was what I wanted to do. I was 18 and I had started five times August right out of high school that summer. Yeah, how'd you get that name? My birthday is August 5th. And I did not, as we've learned at the beginning of the show, Schistemus is not a... uh, a comfortable name to remember. So I was like, I don't want to promote Brad Schistemus. I've got to come up with something else. And and at the time, it was kind of like, there were bands like Dashboard Confessional, where it's like one-man band kind of names. And I came up with Five Times August, like noodling around with the idea of like my birthday, August 5th. And I don't remember what else I had written down, but that Five Times August sounded the coolest. Mm-hmm. And then um, I just used it, and it's kind of stuck with me all this time, 20 years into it. I've been doing it two decades, which is... Uh, mind-blowing to me so if you had told me at 18 years old like oh well you know you better make sure it's a cool name because you're going to be with it for a long time and um and and that's where I started so after high school I was kind of I tried to go back to you know you tell your parents you want to be a singer-songwriter or Mm -hmm. an artist and they're like well you might want to get the backup plan in order and (laughs) so you know I went to community college and I felt like community college was like um kind of like a, a grown-up high school experience or something like that. And, huh. and and I was like, well, I wasn't really interested. But I also was very artistic growing up. My dad was an illustrator, and I had learned so much from him. Mm. I was like, well, I could be an artist of some kind. So I went to uh, the Art Institute of Dallas for a little bit. and um, But my interest just, I kept getting sidetracked. I was so absorbed with music. That's all I wanted to do. I was booking shows for myself, recording stuff at home, playing shows, you know, whatever, right. um, getting my career off the ground. And I, I was just in it 24 hours a day, every day of the week, trying to figure out my path with this. And that was the beginning of it all. Um, while my other kids, my other friends from high school were going off to college and and uh, I kind of felt like, you know, am I doing the right thing? This is what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. So, uh, you know, I just... Kind of stuck with it. And you eventually end up on MTV. Yeah. Right? So about three years into it, like I'm, I'm playing around Dallas, Texas, doing shows, um, doing whatever I can, a starving artist. I was working at CBS Radio at the time as huh. a promotions kid. Yeah. Um, and that's where I met my wife. Okay. 
Um, and they really helped me. I had a boss there who really helped me get some cool gigs early on that kind of saw the potential in what I was doing. And about 2004, a music supervisor for MTV found my stuff on a website called cdbaby.com. And it's, I think it's still around today. It sounds familiar. Yeah, it's like yeah. an independent website for, for independent artists to sell their music. Cool. And he found it, asked me to send him a CD for this show he was working on called MTV's Laguna Beach, <laughs> reality TV uh, for teenagers. <laughs> and I sent him my CD. I was like, I was like, some guy from MTV wrote me. No harm in sending him a CD. Right. So, you know, I, I overnighted a CD. He ended up using a song uh, off that CD, the first season of Laguna Beach, which was a real prominent placement. Yeah. And like at the end of the episode... Like we had a big watching party with with my friends and everything at the end of the episode. They're like, "You just heard better with you by five times August." And then my my plays on MySpace were going up, and it was crazy. MySpace. Yeah, and then, this was back in the MySpace <laughs> sure. days. Sure. So what year are we talking? We're about, about? two thousand four, yeah. and then two thousand five. I had a lot more song placements through MTV programs, and I started touring colleges, and and it was the right demographic for what I was doing. Nice. And, and it was a great way to get off the ground because usually, you know, when you start your music career, you play a club and then two people show up and you hope that they come back next time with two more friends and you really got to work it. Well, because I was at the, you know, social media was at its infancy and you're, you're sitting there on MySpace and you're watching all these people from around the, the country connect with your music and say, I'm from Indiana, I'm from Chicago, I'm from whatever. And I kind of let that sit for a while and I, I was like, okay, where are my three biggest cities that you know i've i've developed a following from from the from this exposure that i've had uh-huh. on mtv and that was my first tour i was like i'm gonna go there i didn't really worry That's about smart. dallas anymore That's yeah so smart. i went there and i played some coffee shops and stuff and then over time um i got into the the college circuit and i was playing a lot of universities which was even better because you get paid for those shows and they're free for the students so this, i i could fill in an auditorium um just playing acoustic guitar huh. for you know doing a free show for the kids with the schools paying in and, and then the kids didn't pay for the tickets but they got money for merch afterwards nice. so it was a really like that is the lucrative right. yeah formula for an, an, an artist at the time and so that was the beginning of things and i did that for about six years um touring colleges it was just driving everywhere was crazy you know you're doing it all yourself oh, and uh, yeah so that was nuts Oh my goodness, I can't imagine. But uh, it paid off, right? I mean, it. Yeah, I mean, it, at that time. Because you write plenty of stuff too. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, or I mean. For other people. For, for other, am I a songwriter for other people? Yeah. Um, I'm more so have become a songwriter for TV and film at some okay. points. For other. Um, okay, yeah. And, you know, I've always sort of been my own songwriter, writing whatever I want. I mean, I've done so many different things over the last. 20 years i've been you know the troubadour singer songwriter dude who's trying to be like john mayer that's all i wanted to be early on dave matthews john mayer jason Mraz. those were my influences (laughs) and after touring the colleges i was trying to figure out what else i would do and i wrote some some kind of jazzy soul throwback stuff and did a side project and the last couple years i was doing kids music with my own family recording kids music with my my family at home and and um and then this year I'm doing a whole new crop of songs that are, you know, very modern protesty kind of stuff. And I kind of always just wrote whatever I wanted to write. But it, it, the interim projects have definitely been like, you know, movie projects and, and 
commercials and things like that. And I will say, if folks haven't had a chance to check out what you refer to there as you know, more current protest type songs, you do an excellent job of tackling current events through catchy music. Thanks. And they really need to check out your as the best place to find you where you post that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I, my default is Twitter at mm-hmm. five times August on Twitter. Sure. Are there better places for people to check out your stuff? I mean, if you go to five times August.com, just the okay. website, um, I've got my latest stuff on the front page and you can check it out. I, I want to send people to the social media websites, but because of the things that I've been posting lately, I feel like at some point I'll get booted anyway. Uh-huh. So, oh. so I'm trying to tell people, go to the website, just make sure you're on the mailing list. Follow Smart. me on all the social media websites as well. Smart. But just in case I get booted at mm-hmm. some point, because it does happen, yeah. you know, make sure you're on the mailing list or whatever. But If people haven't had a chance to check out your stuff, your uh-huh. basically commentary through song, they really need to take a moment. Go to 5timesaugust.com. You've got the the series uh, that, that uh, features Neil Young's old man. And I mean, it's just really great stuff. So anyway, people should really check I that out. I wear many hats. Yes. It, it's, yeah, it's... you do. You're, and it's very <laughs> yeah. difficult to, to to describe you, mm-hmm. you know? And so congrats, kudos to well, you. thanks. <laughs> because uh, you do have your hand in, in pretty much everything. Singer, songwriter, meme maker. Podcaster. Uh, podcaster, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, Dad. Dad, for sure, for sure. <laughs> Top of the list. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you, I have three kids. Yours uh-huh. are nine, seven, and four. Two boys and a girl. Uh-huh. So yeah. is it a good boy, boy, girl? Yes. Okay. All right. Oh, well, then I'm sure that they protect little sister. And oh, yeah. They love that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I- They're all in karate together. And and the funny thing is, like, you'd think that in that scenario, you'd see the... the the older brother is protecting little sister, but she's, oh, no. she's come out like she's, oh, she's, no. she's getting pretty aggressive on the mat. So oh, I think, I think over time she'll be able to handle her own. So <laughs> that's great. That is great. <laughs> and your wife is Kelly. Yes. And you met at that radio station then? Yeah, we met, I was uh, 19 and we met working in radio. She's actually one of my bosses at the radio station. We were all working in the promotions department. <laughs> and, you know, we were, I, would, I would be one of those kids that's out there at the car dealership. And yep. we're like, we're located at so-and-so and we're giving away buttons today or something. I'd be out there and, you know. Um, she was actually engaged at the time. Uh-oh. And... Um, we sort of good for you became good friends. Yeah, right? <laughs> we became good friends, and we were working so much together um, over that time. Just to clarify, the guy was terrible. So, um, oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it yeah. probably it's like a Hallmark movie, right? yeah, yeah, where where you're the good guy, and she's about to make the worst mistake of her life. And you swoop in on the scene and say, That's "No, no, right. no! Wouldn't you much rather hang out with me?" Yeah. See, it was serendipity or something yeah, like you're that. You're the you're the good guy. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so we were. She was starting to help me book shows in the area oh, cool. um, with my other boss, and, and they were helping me get, at, get to events uh, to play at um, for the radio station, which is really cool. And um, ultimately, we ended up leaving the radio station, and we, she starts becoming the manager, basically. We were like a mom-and-pop operation of independent <laughs> music where she would be the business side of things, and she would handle contracts, book the shows, book the tours, the routing, everything like that. Um, and I would be, I would be the talent, and I would go and execute the show, meet the fans afterwards, sign autographs, and do all that stuff. But, but we were just knocking it out. We were traveling the country, driving here and there, ten hours a day, living in a van, doing that whole thing. <laughs> Our whole twenties, like we look back now and we're like, how did we survive? Right. 
Now, I mean, now driving across the metro area is exhausting. Yeah. How do you do that? I, I'm with you. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I still feel it in my bones, like all hunched <laughs> into my, my front seat of my van, um, driving 10 hours a day. But um, yeah, I look back and I'm like, I have no idea how we survived that. We we made it through without any any real major break-ins. The only break-in I had was in Dallas, of all places, of my van. Right before a tour, I had a, my van was broken into and they took my iPod. What? <laughs> of what? all things, but um, no, that that reminds me how, and, and I apologize to the audience if I repeat the stories like an old man in his <laughs> rocking chair, and you hear me, you've heard this story, but my wife and I lived in the hood of Houston, Texas. Never had a problem with any. We heard about crime around us, but mm-hmm. never had a problem that we experienced. Yeah. Two weeks after we moved to the western edge of omaha nebraska literally next to a cornfield our apartment complex my stereo got stolen out of my car wow it's just it's just weird that's how it works you know like yeah i I mean i mean we made it through the south side of chicago once like getting gas we had to get gas oh no we stopped in the south side of chicago and i'm filling up i i fill up about a quarter tank before i'm like i gotta get out of here because i'm getting looks at this station i'm like Mm -hmm. i do not belong here (laughs) i just gotta get out (laughs) bye so yeah it was crazy but you know you get through all these situations you look back on it like how How? in the world because you know i'm i'm edging on to 40 now and and i'm like no way would i let my kids go tour the country right now And, and you know clearly they're they're younger now but even like thinking like if they're 20 years old right now no way i'm letting them go on their right? own right <laughs> so seriously yeah but it, 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 in fairness to that take mm-hmm. by you it is a different world than sure. just 10 years ago yeah i know it's it's sad but it's true right. yeah, uh very okay true. so y'all met is she from dallas as well or yeah we both grew up in the area so we're we're, we're dallas kind of natives okay we've been here all our lives good place to be yeah I asked you if you had, uh, you know, any hobbies mm-hmm. and outside of music, you know, you have the drawing that you alluded to mm-hmm. earlier. I guess it runs in your blood through your dad. Right. Yeah. Um, but you also put Legos as <laughs> as a hobby. Now, my yeah. kids mm-hmm. and I'm sure your kids as well. Yeah. Just love the Legos. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I mean, their toy room is just lined with different creations. Yeah. Is that something you do as well? Um, because I would have thought... That yeah. at this point, uh-huh. pushing 40, you yeah. might not keep doing that. But. Well, I don't really sit and tinker with Legos. Okay. Like, I don't sit and make You're just a things. fan of Legos. I'm a fan of Legos. Like, they have what's called the Lego, I think it's called, like, the Lego Dark Ages for guys our age, where, like, we played with Legos growing up, and then we became teenagers, and then we, you know, went through our 20s. But then you have kids in one day. And your kids get into Legos, and then it reignites you going, oh, Legos were pretty cool. Mm. And so I kind of, you know, got nerdy once the kids started getting into Legos. And I, there's there's so many cool big sets out there now that, yes. especially sets that cater to, like, uh, 80s, 90s kids. Like the big Batmobile they put out from the 89 Batmobile and, nice. the, and the Ghostbusters Ecto-1. So oh. I, I get into those sort of things. I'm like, well, that'd be cool. I'd like to put that together, you know, and, yeah. and, and we sit around with the kids and, and we, we make it a family project and sort of build it together. And OK, that's, and that's cool. sort of what I mean. And, but, but, like, but my kids, I mean, we had an office upstairs and our, our office has become the Lego room. And oh so, my. you know, I'm a kid at heart. And I think when I see Legos at the, at the store, yeah. you know, it's like, 
yeah, I guess we can get that set, you know? And or you try to play it off like you're Mr. Tough Guy or something, but it, deep down you're like, yeah, I want that too. No kidding. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. I got gotcha. you. So your kids have lots of Legos, I'd imagine? Little, yeah. I mean, just... Tons. Do you have, like my house, just bin after bin after bin I have Legos bins there? I have tried to organize mm-hmm. so many times okay. that you just got to let it go at some gotta point. Li- yeah, yeah, absolutely. So here's my assignment for you. Uh, here's your mission, should you choose to accept it. <laughs> I would love for you to tweet out to me some random tweet at some undetermined point in the future where you just you just you just send a you tag me on a tweet and just say whatever your estimate is of how many Lego pieces are in your house. Uh-huh. And then we'll know. You and I will know that that's code that you're you're yeah. just transmitting on the slide to me. Uh-huh. I mean, I I'll, I'll out you once you if you if you tag me uh-huh. and just put a number, then I'll retweet it and I'll say something about <laughs> Oh, you finally got around to counting all the Lego pieces in your house, huh? Yeah. Because I, I, I should probably do that. It could be a rough estimate, but I need to talk to my kids and have them count them up because, yeah. my gosh, I can't even imagine what that number is. Yeah. Do you have any idea? Well, no, I have Thousands. no idea. I'd have to look through all their instructions and add up, you know, right. the piece count and then make a good solid <laughs> estimate or something. Because there's so many, there's big pieces and there's little pieces. And then you've got platforms and there's there's so many ways to count these things. Right. And, um, how, how often yeah, have you good. stepped on them with bare feet? You know, I'm pretty good about that. Yeah, I, I'm pretty good about that too. I watch out for that. Every now and then they sneak yeah. up on me. Oh, for sure. They, they do leave, like, <laughs> I have had a number of run-ins where, like, they leave a a finished set out on the floor or one that they're working on and then you just sort of demolish it by kicking it over you know <laughs> i don't really step on it but i'm like <laughs> my bad i'm like who left that here right don't put it right in the main traffic area yeah, y'all. what are you doing right in the middle of the hallway um so <laughs> you even though are a child of the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. you're big into 60s music how'd that happen yeah I think that came about from probably spurring off of that that early monkeys memory. Um, I, I, I kind of discovered a lot of music through my parents' record collection growing up. Um, they had their records from they were younger, and and I ended up kind of getting those, you know, over time and discovering music from there. And my my oldest brother was really into music from the 60s, and I used to rag on him because I remember being a kid and being like, you only listen to the music of people who are dead. And then like <laughs> then like one day I put it on, I'm like, but it's pretty good. And so, nice. but over time, you know, as you, especially once I started playing guitar, you're like, oh, those are fundamental um, bands and, and artists to know, you know, and um the Beatles were a huge influence. They made me want to pick up the guitar, as they've done for so many people. Um, you know, it's the Beatles. They've got a lot of hype around them. And mm-hmm. so I just grew up listening to that. And then you go, well, who else sounds like the Beatles? And then you find these other bands, British rock and roll bands from the 60s. Um, but I really, I mean, over time, I love so much music that going back to the 20s. Um, through, I don't know if I like so much current music as much. I, every time I put on mainstream radio right now, I'm, I, no. I feel like an old man because I'm like, yeah. I want to I give this a shot. Yeah. And I put it on for like three minutes. And I'm like, um, no. no. So I think like the last time I was really into modern music was like 2005 or six. Yeah. 2008 maybe was like the last time I bought a new current, current album. I still mm-hmm. appreciate like John Mayer, singer-songwriter kind of guys that mm-hmm. are writing songs, you know. Um, because that's who I am. Um, but yeah, I, I really, I don't know. The, the 60s is like the era of time where you went into a studio and 
you recorded together, you know, uh, the track and you were in there together. And, and that's something you don't do anymore. And, and I mean, that was the way it was for a long time. But nowadays you do everything piece by piece and you make sure it's it's synchronized precisely. And there's the feel of it is sort of removed these days of hmm. music and also the substance in music lyrically today doesn't seem to be as important. You know, it's all basically raunchy sex lyrics or something so- like that. <laughs> Do you, as a big music geek, as I can identify with Mm -hmm. that, do you um, find yourself trying to make sure that your kids know who the Beatles are? Oh, yeah. Big 60s acts and stuff like that. Uh, You make sure. Oh, yeah. They go go record shopping with Mm me. I mean, my favorite store is like half price bookstores. And I always like go in there and and thumb through the records and they've come with me. And um, I have, I mean, if they they see a record they'll be like hey look it's the beatles or, uh-huh. or whatever Very i've cool. had i had somebody at a record store once like they heard my oldest son he was like 3 at the time or 4 i think he had seen like a michael jackson record or something like that and he was like hey it's michael jackson and like this this lady next to us was like you're raising them so good nice <laughs> you know? nice nice but but yeah they absolutely know i mean their their first concert was actually um we went to see mickey dolans and he had a uh, the Fab Four, a Beatles cover band, opened for them here cool. in, in Texas. And um, that was their first concert experience. So it was kind of cool that my first memory concert experience was the Monkees. Oh, and nice I got job. to take them back to to um, do that as well. And they got to meet Mickey after the show as well. And he was, nice. you know, super kind to them again. And oh, cool. So, yeah, so I, I will say one way to get your kids uh, more into music, what you do is as you're going down the road and you play a song for them mm-hmm. and uh, you make sure that you cover up so they can't, their eyes aren't going to focus on uh, what's what's playing there on the dash, mm-hmm. but but you offer money, you know, and this, this is what I do. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm like, all right, guys, uh, you get one guess each, $5 if you can tell me the name of this band <laughs> or, or if it's something else, I'll say, you know. You get, uh, it, I, I used to, because I started off getting them like a dollar and then the, the second guess and you get 75 <laughs> if you get it on the third guess. Yeah. Anyhow, but uh, <laughs> it's actually very funny that very recently, and it just, I, this just occurred to me, I thought there's no way that my oldest daughter knows this is the monkeys. Uh-huh. It, it's just ironic. This is just hitting me. And I said, I'll give you 10 bucks if you can tell me what band this is. And she immediately said the monkeys. I was like, dang it. I'm teaching y'all too well. <laughs> yeah. I don't have $10 right now. Seriously. But you will get it right. in time. <laughs> and I, like, I never, I never set the price that high. It was right. so stupid of me. Anyhow. Well, no, that means you're doing a good job. Yeah. I think a lot with my kids is I still buy physical media. And I think having records and CDs and even cassettes around yep. sparks their interest. It sparked my interest early on. Mm-hmm. And these days, everything is so digital that you know if a parent has all their music on their phone there's no way for the kid unless they're on you know amazon the amazon app or spotify or apple music to really you know discover right. the music that their parents are listening to and even if they do they're scrolling through stamp sized artwork that's on the phone and yeah. you know it's like a quarter inch of the size but my you know my kids they've seen they've had records around their whole life they think they're normal you know for most most kids uh-huh. and um, they even have their own little record collection, a record player in their room, and they love it because it, it's something different. They get to hold it and look at it, and they put it on, and they get to watch the needle play, and and and, and it's a fascinating experience. It's better than boop boop, right? You know, right. what do you want to listen to? Scroll thumb, boop boop. And I'm with you. CDs aren't as intimate as records, mm-hmm. but even still, 
I would wear out uh, a jewel case and and the liner notes right. and 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 if you bought a CD that didn't have lyrics, mm-hmm. it was before the internet. Eh. I was like, what in the world? What? Yeah. Then you just have to make it up and hope that you're right. And then you yeah. find out 20 years later, oh my gosh, I've been singing yeah, this thing right. wrong. But uh, my oldest daughter is just recently started to drive, has her first car, and <laughs> so bad. But I am so excited because her car has. I can't believe I'm saying her car, by the yeah. way. It just feels weird. But her car has a CD player. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, somebody <laughs> can get use out of my thousand plus CD collection. Yeah. You know, wow, yay. So I don't know. Yeah. I'm, I'm more excited for that than anything else with that. Car. Isn't that incredible? A car with the CD player is 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 something to appreciate these days. Right. And I recently got a different vehicle. And it doesn't have a CD player, and I was really bummed. I'm like, yeah, that's not cool. Yeah, yeah. you need it. I mean, you get to pop it in, and and, mm-hmm. and and it makes you commit too to listening. Like if you put in a CD, you're committed to the CD. Whereas like these days, it's like it's all Spotify. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's playlists, you know. Yeah. So you're kind of thinking subconsciously like well what else do i want to listen to whereas like i remember back in the day you'd have a binder full of cds in high school or something you know totally and you're like well what do i want to listen to on the drive yes oh and there's so many drives between atlanta and nebraska where i I lived and where i went to school Uh and every summer you know yeah i would uh, you pick the cd you pick the album (laughs) and you listen to the whole thing yeah you don't just listen to the part you like and move on and (laughs) And see with me back then it was a case of most of my cds would be packed you know in the trunk or whatever Mm -hmm. but you got to pick you can pick 20 to leave in the little uh uh, velcro binder thing that you keep under the front seat Mm -hmm. for this trip and you better like it and it was literally i would drive across the country and i would listen to either rush limbaugh or whatever cds i brought yeah that was my that was my you're committed at that point we Mm -hmm. have too much choice right now right where it's just so (laughs) distracting but so let's see here last book you read was dissolving illusions what's that about that is about the truth of vaccines. I'm still reading. I bought it. Oh, yeah, nice. It's about the truth of what's happened over the last several years, um, uh-huh. over the last several decades, I should say. Yeah. And um, I'm not too deep into it. I ordered it a while back. It's one of those books that's been sort of sitting around. I started it. It's been fascinating so far, but it takes you through. We we get fed certain narratives on on vaccine through media and 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 it kind of takes you backstage as to what's really happening it's pretty interesting so far so yeah. it doesn't just focus on the current vaccine situation it just it covers, no, it covers, all, covers all of them mm-hmm. polio it goes all the way back to polio wow. and, and measles and it has studies and everything and mm. it's a fascinating book so far i mm. definitely recommend it yeah yeah like my wife it read it some time ago and she and and um you know my wife has been involved in the medical freedom movement for a long time and she's sort of been watching all this stuff unfold for a good eight years now and um saw this coming saw this coming from miles and miles (laughs) away and then i'm sort of trying to play catch up now going like oh okay yeah time to get serious what a what an interesting (laughs) time we're living in for sure you're big into reading biographies yeah is there a favorite one that stands out i had an audible account for uh, a good chunk of when my 
when my kids were born, I'd, you'd sit there in the rocking chair for hours, yep. you know, while they napped or whatever and get that big sweat spot on your oh shirt, my you know? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, yes, so I know the feeling. You're yes. stuck. And I, so I was listening to a lot of biography <laughs> books through Audible. Um, I loved Steve Martin's biography. I listened to Pete Townsend's biography. Mm. Um, there's a huge biography that covers the first, I think it's called, what's it called? Tune in. It's a big Beatles book, mm. and it's super thick. It's supposed to be the most comprehensive, like Beatles thing. And this was Volume One. The guy's still working on Volume Two. It starts from the beginning of the Beatles up to like 1962. Um, it's hugely thick, and a lot of really cool details in that book. That like, if you're a nerd, nerdy music Beatles fan, you're like, oh wow, there's a lot of paints a nice picture of like Paul and John sitting across from each other writing she loves you and things like that. Wow. Um, but I love details like that. I love real information. I don't really get too caught up in sci-fi stuff or, or you know, mm-hmm. books like that. But I, I love finding out about people's stories. As a Beatles fan, yeah. have you ever seen the movie yesterday? I did. Is that it's, not awesome? Yeah. I mean, I loved it. Yeah. How about I, you? I connected with it. My mom thought it was hilarious because the guy... I, I mentioned I've been doing kids' music for like the last three three years, and um, I've been totally absorbed in that world, playing at elementary schools and having a great time doing. Those have been some of the best shows, by the way, playing for kids, singing with you, and just loving ah, everything you're doing on stage. That was cool. Um, but it's 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 awesome because like that that movie, the guy's the big Beatles fan. He's kind of struggling artist, mm-hmm. you know, and then he has this big thing. And at the end of the movie. You don't know, don't he, give it away. Well, you know, it's been out since 2019. Give it away. Well, I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> no spo- spoiler alert. But, but he's, if, if people don't know the story, that basically something happens on Earth yeah. and nobody knows who the Beatles are. Right. Right. And there's there's several things that... that, that I think you can grasp that from right. the trailer. You're right. Like, no, like you're he, right. He becomes you, uh, you the, the writer of the Beatles see, stuff. <laughs> see, it's not fair to the rest of the world when I say don't spoil it because yeah. most movies, it takes me... 10 to 20 years to get around to watching them and like this is the one movie that i actually saw right after uh-huh. it came out yeah and so i'm in an unusual position where i feel like wow <laughs> don't ruin it yeah, yeah. it's been out for over two years yeah. i think it's time to let it go well you know i'll, I'll just say this if, if we don't want any spoilers <laughs> i'll just say i connected with it yeah you know as a songwriter yeah. and beatles fan i think you know probably thousands of songwriters did as well because because it's a great question you know what would the world be like yeah you know, if the Beatles didn't exist, yeah, yeah, and, and would and would their music have impacted culture the same way if other people had written? And it, so, so it falls on this guy, the yeah. star of the movie, mm-hmm. to enlighten the rest of the world mm-hmm. that hey, there's some really good songs that this band yeah. made that you guys should really be familiar with. Yeah, it's so well done. Ed Sheeran yeah. is yeah. is a is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's a, it's a great movie. You can watch it with your mm-hmm. kids. Yep. Hopefully they're old enough to appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but uh, yesterday, uh, 2019 yeah. movie that that came out uh, about the about the Beatles. There. Um, as much as you and I love tangible music whether it's the records or the CDs or what have you. We, we obviously both of us enjoy Spotify. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you listed that. It's so convenient and it's so helpful to have any song you want in your pocket. Right. But at the same time, there is something lost there. Yeah, I use... And you have a different perspective than me because you're actually making some of this music. Right. The last, like, five singles I've put out have all been digital singles. and But I pine for, like, 
you know, having something to hand people. Yeah. You know, I want you to have my music. Uh, I use streaming services all the time. Um, it's a great way to discover music, you know. Back in the day at the mall, they used to have listening stations with, you know, uh, you could go up and l- put a CD on and listen and, and see if you liked it. Oh, yeah. And that's been removed. They don't sell CDs in, in the mall anymore, really. So how do you discover music? And I kind of use it as a tool to help me find, like, you know, music I've never, uh, I haven't discovered yet. And it's a good tool in the sense that as well as, like, there's a lot of curated playlists where they're like if you like this you might also like this mm-hmm. so it's a great tool but i don't feel like i own it until i have it in my hand so if i really find something that you know an album or a song that really connects with me or that i feel like i'm going to need to reference later i don't feel like i own it or i've contributed to that my appreciation of it until i have a tangible copy of it to slide into you know the cd wall or the mm-hmm. record wall or something no. And I also feel like those things say a lot about you and who you are. You know, my kids will, you know, for for better or worse, they're going to get handed down a whole bunch of records and CDs one day. And they'll either be like, what are we supposed to do with all this stuff? Or they'll be like, well, this is says a lot about who our dad was. Right. And he told me all about, you know, this album and this song and what how it impacted his life. And, you know, I think that's missing a lot with with not just not just music, physical music, but physical everything. Yeah. I had a story recently where I was talking about, I was at church and one guy had his Bible on his iPad. The guy next to him had a Bible that was tattered, beat up, and, you know, looked like it had been through a couple decades of church. Mm-hmm. And I asked the guy about that, his Bible. And I said, you know, is that your Bible? And he's like, well, actually, it's my grandpa's. Mm. And that says something. You know, you're not going to hand down an iPad uh, or an iPod or an iPhone over the over the decades. You know, you're not going to have even have the charger for it at some point. Right. And what are our kids going to inherit? You know, and on top of that, it's easy to manipulate. You could change digital. You could obliterate. I mean, we've seen movies and books just get taken off of platforms, uh, whether it's uh, Netflix uh, or right or or. Stuff's no longer sold on Amazon. Right. So, I mean, it's so easy to destroy that record or just subtly alter it as well. But I'm with you. It's so convenient, yet it's so dangerous at the same time. Yeah, it it really is. Um, I think that, you know, you got to walk that fine line of convenience. You know, if if, if you're just, it's kind of, I don't know, look at Star Wars, for instance. How hard is it to watch the original Star Wars that was in the theaters? You know, it, it's kind of hard to watch that these days. You can't really find it easily. You have to get the VHS tape from, you know, the 80s or something before they changed it. And But, but that, that goes with all, you know, not just with entertainment, with, with just information. If you get a book, you're not going to f- open a book and just see a whole bunch of stuff crossed out. As you can do on the Internet, you, you might find a link and you might go, well, I've got to reference that link at some point. And it might just be gone. It's just gone. And yep. you, you're like, I can't prove what I wanted to say anymore because it's gone. So, we're, yeah, we're definitely walking like a, a dangerous fine line of convenience and, you know, um, having artifacts of our history. Yeah. You know, it's easy to, to, to lump things up and, and to, you know, just being like, well, it's just stuff. It's taking up space. But it also is a thing that represents who we are at that yeah. time and, and, and who you are and what you appreciated, the information that you were into. And, you know, we just got to watch it. But you're right, though. 
you may just end up not having a charger. And then, oh my gosh, yeah. what all is on that iPad that I would love to have access to? Yeah. And plus, we're just one EMP bomb away from losing everything digitally mm-hmm. anyway. So, yeah. You know? Well, like our like our parents' generation has, has an interesting thing because they've grown up into, you know, they've had so many eras of time that now they're in this... I don't think they ever would have imagined that they could carry a phone in their pocket when they were a kid and, and also take pictures with it. And But they they have this like kind of confusion with it where they're using it. They're taking the pictures and then they use the phone and they record things on it and they, they have their grand pictures and they share it, their grandkids' pictures uh, on their phone. They share them with their friends or whatever, but they don't know how to take those pictures off of their phone, right. you know, at the end of the day. And then it just sits on the phone right. until they need a new phone. And then you've got you know, a kitchen drawer with old phones in it. <laughs> and there's so much, you know, of, of your life sitting there that'll never be seen. It's like a digital dark age that's just sort of sitting in its own little cube, not doing anything. Nobody will remember it. But I wonder if someday down the line, they'll find a way to turn it on, you know, your grandkids or something. Mm-hmm. And it'll almost be like opening uh, a box uh, of pictures that they didn't right. realize were in the house too. Yeah. We can only hope that that's one thing we should invest in is yeah. just buy a whole bunch of chargers, charging cords, power cords for your iPads or your Androids or whatever, mm-hmm. and just tuck those away somewhere in your right. house. You yeah. Know? Try, try to make sure you keep up with that mm-hmm. stuff for sure. Back to our conversation with Brad in just a moment. But first let's talk about getting that pain your body experiences under control. And how can you do that? It's simple. Try Dr. Monroe's Freeze Gel. I think you're going to be experiencing the same relief that I have felt time and time again. This stuff works for me instantly because it has everything from Dr. Monroe's signature product. That's the Pro 8000 cream. has everything it has, but it also has the added menthol cooling and the easy-to-apply rollerball, along with patented K-channel technology for maximum potency as it targets that stubborn pain. Don't forget that 20% of any purchase made at DrMonroe'sCBD.com goes directly to the Child Help Abuse Hotline. So you're doing good for you and for so many others who need your assistance. Please check out all of the pain-reducing products over at DrMonroe'sCBD.com. Be sure to use promo code KEITH. Going to get yourself 15% off your entire purchase. That's promo code KEITH over at DrMonroe'sCBD.com today. Oh, music and your... Um, talent in your career, I want to talk about the unique position that you were in with a Kickstarter campaign mm-hmm. that was really very unique at the time. Uh, I, I read where it was like the biggest Kickstarter thing that was successful or something. Yeah. Very early on, you did a, a campaign uh, to, mm-hmm. to to record an album. Right. And tell us how that, what, what was that like? Yeah, I... As an independent artist, you you're looking for ways to stay ahead of the curb and 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 just uh, knock down walls and barriers as as in what you're doing. So, it, it, when a website like Kickstarter comes along, you kind of look at it and you're like, well, how can I benefit from this? What is it? Um, and it was a way to raise money for projects. And I was like, oh, cool. Um, and then you look at it and you go, well, what are people doing on it? You know, raising money for movies and so that. I don't think there was very many musicians on it at the time, and if there were they weren't really going for very big amounts of money. And so I was getting ready to release an album. I decided to use uh, Kickstarter to help me fund it. Um, At the time, I was the first artist to shoot for 
$20,000 on the website. And we raised $20,000 in a month for that album. And that was the first time that had been done on the mm. website. These days, you know, millions of dollars are being raised through, uh, <laughs> you know, crowdfunding platforms like Kickstarter. And, and there's, there's a billion other ones out there. But at the time, yeah, that was a very unique thing. Um, it was very cool to accomplish that with just, you know, uh, an artist reaching out to their fans and saying, look, we want to release an album. Um, but I was always looking for things to, to, you know, sort of break down the the barriers of what an independent artist could do. Because I've been an independent artist the entire 20 years of my career. And I have had my albums in Walmart and Best Buy stores and distributed across the country. I've had the song licenses on, on, on TV shows and commercials and things like that. Um, so I'm always looking for ways to sort of hold my own as an independent artist. And by the time I was even meeting with major record labels, um, I, I didn't even feel like they had anything to offer to me anymore because I had accomplished so much. I was like, well, I'm already on the road. I've already got my album in stores, um, getting placements on these big TV shows, which kind of is, was, was a go around for radio exposure at the time, which radio is a whole other game when you're like, you know, trying to get a song spliced in between the latest, you know, uh, whatever it is, Kelly Clarkson or whoever is hot at the time. Um, so yeah, Kickstarter, um, was a very cool thing. And, and I went for it. We did $20,000 in a month and it's just one of those first milestones for Kickstarter. And it was a milestone for me as well. Yeah, I, I tell you, it, it's the generosity of your fans is something to behold. Uh, something like a Kickstarter, this program itself. I, I asked, hey, can you help out through GoFundMe? And the response was amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. people, this country is still filled with generous people. And it's just, it's just great to be able to see that manifest, whether it's this show, your thing, but just anything like a disaster or something happens. Oh my gosh. How awesome are the people in this country? Right. It's still, still great. It's it's right underneath. You know, I said this on our podcast. I was talking about how like we've got the, we've got this real dirty froth on top of our (laughs) mindset right now that everything sucks and everybody's mad. Uh And, but it's right underneath it is this beautiful time of giving and love and, and convenience and it's just right underneath there if we let ourselves have it, but we're focused on all this ridiculousness. So true. So yeah. No, you're absolutely right. The most scared you've ever been, taking your second born to the, the NICU shortly after he was born. Yeah. Uh, what was going on? What happened, man? Because, um, I mean, that, that just, just, just reading that sentence is terrifying. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's very much a blur. It was the most grown up I had ever felt in my entire life at that point. We had brought home our baby for about a week, and he was having a coughing fits um, in the middle of the night. His stomach was very hard. We, we took him in, um, and they wanted to do a spinal tap on him. And um, this was a moment where I, this is a, like a defining moment where I knew, like, Okay, I have to step up and actually be a grown up right now because there was there was a doctor in there. He's going to perform. There's two doctors in there. One was experienced. One was clearly not experienced. Pulls out this big needle for a spinal tap for my baby, and he's asking the other doctor like, "Okay, uh, so I do this and I do that," and I'm like, "No, no, no, you are not doing this." So I had to like stop the guy. I'm like, "She's doing this. If you're asking her how to do this." Oh gosh. 
you know, I'm like, I'm not letting you practice. No, this is on my baby. Right. Nope. So, um, the other doctor performed it. Um, and our, yeah, our, our middleborn was in the NICU for a week. We were there. There's lots of prayers and, and, yeah. and hanging tight. And, um, I can't remember exactly what it was, what they said was wrong at this point, but, um, you know, it's one yeah, of those like things. you said, it's a blur. Yeah, it was such a blur. You like, just know that everything got better. Yeah, or? everything got. We went home after a week, and um, you know, it's just one of those those moments where, like, you know, you, having kids is such a scary, scary thing throughout the whole pregnancy. Having the baby, you're just hoping everything turns out okay. They're healthy. They come out with, you know, five fingers, five toes. They can see okay, and then you get home, and then it's a whole other level of, of like, okay, now we're here. Is everything okay? So a week into it, you know, to know you have to go back to the hospital um, was a scary thing. And, and that it's your, it's your little baby, yeah. you know. There's, there's nothing scarier and than that. And they can't communicate with you. Right. That's just it. It's like once they learn how to start talking and communicating, you're like, okay, well, now if there's a problem, they can say, oh, it hurts here. Yeah. But, you know, there's few years in there where you're just like okay uh, i'm gonna try to figure this out but it's the worst feeling in the world to know that your child is suffering not being able to do anything about it oh yeah and not really being able to communicate with them about that yeah and there's so many hands on your baby bringing Mm -hmm. in shots and different things drawing blood and doing all these different tests that it's just a scary thing so you know my wife and i would just stayed there the whole the whole time thankfully we he's now seven and he's a normal, happy kid. That's great. That's great. Favorite comfort food? I tell you, this answer comes up so often, and it's mine as well. Pizza. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've said so. I've I've said plenty on this podcast about pizza. <laughs> but tell pizza me, pizza is, is 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 a problem for me. Oh yeah. I don't know if subconsciously <laughs> that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles did a number on my <laughs> my conscience as a kid or something Uh-oh. like that, but I can't escape pizza. I can I could have pizza for a week and swear I'll never eat pizza again oh. and be sick of it for about three hours and then be like there are there leftovers. That's me. Yeah. Yeah. I can't let go of pizza. It just keeps coming back in my so life, good. and and it's like a, such such a guilty thing because you you know you you at, at this phase in life you've got birthday parties mm-hmm. and different gatherings and whatever it is that pizza keeps showing up or whether it's like a convenience night where you're like well we don't have time to make dinner this is good pizza it happens oh, more yeah. often than not uh-huh. and then you're like well we had pizza two days ago oh no did- that's not me yeah i was with you till then no i'm like oh i can take pizza for lunch tomorrow yeah but you had pizza yesterday for lunch and yeah. supper yeah i know I know. It's cool. We're good. Yeah. Uh, I, I literally should consider changing the name of this podcast to Pizza and Stuff. Pizza time with Keith. Yeah. We, we talk pizza and yeah. stuff. I just, you know, we've been on, my wife and I have been on like this big health journey. No matter how healthy we get, pizza is always like, it always pulls us back into laziness, you know, no matter what we're doing. We can be juicing for a week or whatever. <laughs> you, can, you can even fast for a whole week and be like, all right, I did a great thing. And then you just you take it all back in a weekend because yep. you're like pizza time. <laughs> so I got to hear about this uh, embarrassing moment where your zipper was down in front of a what, like a small intimate crowd or something for like what 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 happened what what's going yeah. on there 
I don't get embarrassed easily. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a goofball. I'm a kid at heart. If you watch our show uh, weekdays with Craig and Brad, like I, I'm spitting water out of my mouth sometimes and letting <laughs> it drool all over my shirt sometimes. Um, and so I don't get embarrassed very easily. Uh, but I did do a show. This was a college show, you know, some years back. And I'm about halfway through the show. And it's in an intimate little setting, kind of a coffee shop kind of setting. And um, somebody points out in the front row that my zipper's down. And it's one of those zipper down situations where, like, there's a hole, that, you know, like your jeans are folded open. So, like, I don't know what, you know, thank, that, thank God for underwear in I those was about moments. To say, ha, not only that, but that's where you're hoping that the underwear is dark. Yeah. Because if it's white, then it's like, hello. Yeah. So so what made it, I think, more embarrassing than it was, was that I, I'm like, oh, I better turn around and zip up my fly here. As I turn around, but behind me is this gigantic glass window, and it's night, so it's basically like a mirror. So I'm turning around just to zip it up in front of a mirror. So it, it's, it's just a small little moment. How long was know? the uh, was the fly down, do you think? How I don't know, probably sh- a good 20 minutes or something like that. And you're, you're up there you with know. an acoustic I'm just guitar. up there singing passionate love songs, oh, looking no. like a doofus. Is yeah. there a video of this? I don't know, probably. <laughs> probably. That's good stuff. No, that, that's... <laughs> but you know, That's like, funny. like, yeah. It, at the end of the day, it's kind of just funny. I don't, I can't remember a really uh, em- a hardcore, embarrassing moment that's where good. I was like, "Oh gosh, <laughs> I got to get out of here." No, that, that's good. So you you work in a, a tough industry with with the music and and singer songwriting. You've had some run ins with some cheats, some fakes along the line. Is there anybody you want to out? <laughs> <laughs> I would love to list names right now, um, but I will not. Okay. Um, All right. I'm a bigger to, man than that. I had to give you the option. Yeah. No, the, you know, my arc of my career has been very weird. So my career started out right out of high school. And you, and at the time, this is like early 2000s, 2001. And, you know, the mindset back then was I'm going to record my hits, get my radio songs, get my record deal and that's your you know your naive outlook on your music career is like i'm going to become a big star and then uh the internet's kind of changing this industry that you you thought you had an understanding of how you go about things Mm -hmm. and the you know people are now discovering artists through different platforms and 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 then i'm realizing oh i can be an independent artist i don't actually have to have a record label, but also you're trying to reach another level in your career. And so I had worked with some companies that were sort of like ghost labels, where basically like they're supposed to give you the contacts and the experience of being on a record label, but you're basically flipping the bill. Mm. Now, the benefit of it is like you still own everything. You know, you own your records and your recordings. You're not tied to the record label at the end of the day, but at the same time, you're flipping the bill for it. And if you hire the wrong company, um, you know, they'll take your money, they'll kind of do their job, and then it helps you none, but you spend all this money. So I've worked with a lot of those those people, um, or I, I had worked with a lot of those people at, at one point. Uh, this was like about 2008, where you're trying to, to get to that next level, and you want to get, you know... You, you kind of hit the ceiling with what you think you can do as an independent artist, and you're watching, you know, a lot of my my peers in the music industry guys that I was doing shows with, they were still getting record label deals. And so you're trying to do this thing on your own. So I spent a lot of money 
on on trying to push an album out there and and work with these people that are supposed to get you to the next level and really they just sort of took advantage of me and it was mm-hmm. it was the most expensive lesson I'll I'll ever have you know paid for but at the same time you you know I look back on it now I'm like well I needed to learn that lesson no matter how expensive it was mm-hmm. because it let me know that like at the end of the day you know it's it's going to be up to me and in, in what I do nobody will care as much as I do you know and getting my music out there. So part of the music industry, probably a large part of it for you, I would imagine, would be the live performances. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that you've done recently? In other words, had obviously the pandemic happens, mm-hmm. concerts, tours, they just stop. Were you at the point in your career where you were still doing those actively when that happened? Or had you already, at that point, stopped uh, doing as much of the touring as you'd done earlier when you were talking, you know, you and your wife driving mm-hmm. around the country together? And right. I just wonder how different it would be now if if you were still out there. You know, I'm, I'm so I toured for, a, I don't know, the better part of a decade driving myself to shows with you know my wife and I were living out of the van um and it was very exhausting by the time we had our firstborn it's kind of like well let's take some time off and be parents and I'll fly out to do shows you know here and there um so I hadn't really been doing okay touring for a while I didn't think so but but I had started playing elementary schools with this with my children's music I just think stuff. that's the coolest thing man it, it was it, I mean it's the most awesome experience because I've got a YouTube channel, so I should mention my children's music project is called the Juice Box Jukebox, okay. and um, there's a YouTube channel for it. I recorded 14 songs for it. I made videos for it. Um, it's it's an all encompassing expression, I think, of my artist creativity, where I made the videos, I wrote the songs. My family's involved. My kids' voice is a very family, you know, focused project. <laughs> and that's the Juice Box Juke Box. The Juice Box Juke Box. Love it. And I had just started doing more elementary school shows. There's a lot of uh, I had started having a lot of teachers discover my this music and playing it for their classrooms. I got on the Texas Artist Touring roster. Um, I can't remember what it's called. So anyway, I'm supposed to be doing these shows at elementary schools. The pandemic happens. I've got to cancel all the elementary school shows. Uh, Just now, actually, this week, we'll be doing them again for the first time, going up to kind of Upper West Texas, doing some elementary school shows with these songs, um, kind of making up for that. And and it'll be fun. Very cool. And, um, And it's crazy because I'll be doing these elementary school shows, and then I'm heading to Austin to do a rally in front of the Capitol. <laughs> so I've got this like <laughs> split personality nice. of things. But I have thought <laughs> late, lately, like I would like to get back there out on the road again and, and play some more grown-up shows because I think that people are kind of itching to get out there and experience, you know, live entertainment again, yeah. Yeah. for sure. Who are some of your favorite artists to listen to, mm-hmm. you being an artist yourself? And who is someone that you would love to play with if you were ever given the chance that you haven't yet had that opportunity? Yeah. You know, like your pipe dream, if you want to call it, you know? A pipe just, dream. Yeah. I'd have but I don't, I don't want to yeah. sell you short. I'm no, just no, saying, no, no, I'm no, saying yeah. like, do you ever think, man, I would, like, because like, okay, let me just throw this out there. 
one day it'd be pretty awesome just to play the tambourine on stage with you uh, two or the Connells. There, I said it. Right. So, how about you? Like, what's your? What's yeah, your... I think I would default probably to getting to do something on stage with Paul McCartney, mm. um, just because uh, he's been the longest-lasting influence of of my entire life since I was a kid. I had every single Paul McCartney album. Once I collected all the Beatles stuff, it was it was Paul McCartney. You <laughs> then know? it was on the <laughs> yeah. Then it was like what's with solo stuff and Wings, and I got completely absorbed in Paul McCartney forever. And um, I've seen him live, you know. And it, it's just one of those things where he's probably an artist where you just sort of, for me, if I could just shake his hand and say, you know. Um, hey, thanks. You know, you've heard it from everybody else. Um, but I, I would like to know that I got to, you know, right. do something like that. That would be an incredible accomplishment. Um, it would be cool to do something like that with uh, Eric Clapton. Anybody who was like a legendary, you know, still a living legend. I think that that would be an incredible thing to do. Um, my influences are, are kind of all those guys. You know, you kind of hope that I think every musician or songwriter hopes whether they project it loudly or not, they would like their legacy to fall in line with those people that influenced them. It's a big dream, you know, to, to hope that one day you, you, you're labeled as, you know, a Paul McCartney or a Bob Dylan or, uh-huh. you know, somebody like that. But, but you sort of hope for that. Um, otherwise, why are you doing it? You know, you want the most people to hear right. your music. Um, but my influences were, were those people for sure. Okay. So you, you've, Billy reckon, Joel. Billy Joel's another one. Billy Joel. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. You've every artist that you've mentioned in the course of this conversation, I've recognized. Mm-hmm. Is there an artist that the last time? What's what's the last time you you picked up uh, Apple Music or Spotify, where people can find your music, by the way? Yeah. Under five times August. Mm-hmm. But when's the last time you had this moment where you're like, oh, I don't recognize this artist, but boy, this is really good. Who's somebody that maybe we haven't heard of that you've been enjoying lately? Hmm. Anybody come to mind? It's it's usually artists that that have been around that I just never got never discovered, so they're new to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a band called Deacon Blue. Huh. Um, they're I can't remember where they're from. I, I feel like they're like a, they're across the pond a bit. I tend to like look for bands that have a, a core songwriter. Ricky Ross of De- Deacon Blue was somebody that I discovered the last couple of years and then I got into the they I mean they've been around since the 80s but I had missed them you know over the course of of my childhood and Deacon Blues great Delamitri was a band that uh-huh. I listened to growing up that, you know them. they're kind of like a one hit wonder in the states but <laughs> they you know uh, Justin Curry is an incredible songwriter So there's more to them than Roll to Me? Yeah, okay. for sure. All you, right. I mean great music. Song uh, I love bands with a songwriter songwriter in it where like They've never written a bad song, you know. There's no filler on the album. It's right. just it's good good music. So, mm-hmm. those are a couple. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody new, newer that I'm like, oh, they're pretty good. But I sent I I think I kind of stopped looking yeah. after a while. Okay. My favorite guys, modern guys, David Gray is mm-hmm. another one. Um, he's stuff. still pumping out great music. Babylon. Babylon. Just, just such a great song. Because because what happens with me is. I'll take one song, and if it feels like there's a songwriter behind it, I'll be like, what else did they write? Right. And then I I find out what else. You know, most people, they hear the song on the radio, and that's all they need. They don't really, you know, I like that one hit by that that artist. 
I, as a musician, as a songwriter, I'm like, well, what else did they write? So I love to dive deep into catalogs of songwriters and and bands like that. Totally understandable. Uh, All righty. Got your phone with you over there? I do. Okay. What's what's currently in your Amazon cart, if you would like to share? In my Amazon cart, we've got most likely... Kids school supplies, <laughs> a digital kitchen scale. That's from oh, my wife. Nice. We've got um, a massage gun. A massage <laughs> it's gun. It's a two hundred dollar massage gun. I actually, I almost bought one of those. Yeah. Uh, over at the mall kiosk. <laughs> so I'm with you. Okay. I'm with you. We've got um, <laughs> some school books. Okay. And looks like uh, more school books. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. A Oh, my. Oh, no. I'm not going to read that. I was about to say, you don't have to read everything in no, there, but okay, the, Brad? I, I'm, I'm fascinated now because I'm like, what did Kelly put oh, in the no. Amazon book but or in our Amazon list? Yeah, it's funny. Um, oh. I What I do is if I need something, I buy it, and then it, it comes. But but Kelly will load up the Amazon yeah. list, and, the, and then like I'll check on and be like, there's like a $500 generator in our cart. Uh, I'm like, okay. Wow. Thinking about the apocalypse, getting uh, ready for the apocalypse. I got it. Uh, uh, you can't go wrong with a power generator. Absolutely. No, you got to have one. Especially after what we went through in February right. in this uh, area. Yeah. All right. Well, so if, if anyone wants to look for you, they need to look for Five Times August on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube. You're on Gitter. I'm on Getter. I'm on all of Gab, them. Gab, locals. I mean, you're all over the place. Yeah. Uh, five times August. Uh, spell it out, you know. F-I-V-E. Yeah. T-I-M-E-S. August. Yep. <laughs> you got it. Um, let's see. And and your music is on Spotify, Apple Music, and Amazon under the same name. That's very convenient that you uh, that you went and grabbed uh, five times August everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> One of a kind. One of a kind. <laughs> Anything we've uh, failed to cover here today, or uh, or are we good, man? I don't think so. I think that's it. That's, okay. you know, appreciate it. Yeah, man. It was a pleasure meeting you. And and do check out not only your music, but your, your parody songs as well. Uh, just, you're a very talented guy, and I appreciate you making time for us today. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for coming down, man. Absolutely. I really enjoyed getting to know Brad and hearing his story as a guy in the music business. He's so talented, and I would highly recommend you go look up his stuff on YouTube, other platforms, uh, under 5 Times August, or just head to his website, 5timesaugust.com. Hey, I want to give a big thank you to the At The Mike Show listeners, Renee Osier, Sue Mariani, and Tyler Morgan, all winners in our first At The Mike Show giveaway. They each won an item of their choice from atthemikeshop.com. We have a store over there, atthemikeshop.com. They were the first to respond to a little contest we had a few episodes back. You can take a look at uh, what show merchandise is available right now. Just in time for the giving season that's fast arriving. That's at themikeshop.com. Hoping that by the time this podcast posts, we will have winter caps available. That is the plan at themikeshop.com. And as always, if you're able to provide a nice review and a five-star rating over on Apple iTunes, we would be so grateful. Your high ratings and your kind remarks, that's how other folks find the show. You can feel free to share it directly if you'd like uh, with your family and friends at themikeshow.com. It's that simple. All the episodes are right there. Next week, you and I are going to sit down with national radio host Andrew Wilkow. That'll be fun as we get to know about his background. That's our next episode of At The Mic. And until that next time, when we sit down together, please go be free 
and thank you for listening. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to atthemikeshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect. Hey, goblinshoecandlecompany.com. That is a website you need to go to right now. goblinshoecandlecompany.com. Check out their assortment of homemade candles with perfect aromas you need filling every corner of your home just in time for the holiday season. There are more than three dozen perfectly blended natural fragrances ready to fill your living space as we settle into fall and winter. Head to GoblinShoeCandleCompany.com. Find that perfect gift, not only for that special someone in your life, but for you as well. That's GoblinShoeCandleCompany.com.